The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Hawks or doves? Rate hikes or rate cuts? Global investors have spent months second-guessing the mood of the panels of grey-suited men and women who decide monetary policy at the Fed, the ECB and the Bank of England. Rarely have interest rates been so interesting. As inflation rages, it feels like a tweak of a few basis points could make or break fragile industries and economies. But are the central banks, the institutions that make these moves, really best placed to get them right? Are they, to use the old cliche, fit for purpose? Their duties are to implement monetary policy, manage currencies and control money supply. But what do we make of public bodies that inject money into the system on a grand scale one minute, then slam on the brakes the next when the inflation that fueled comes back to bite them? Is it time to consider whether the international financial architecture needs a bit of a refit? Should we not be banking on central banks? That's this week on The Y Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. The Y Curve. So, I mean, there, there is the question about, you know, I, I think as we said in the introduction there, it is a bit like we're all careering in one direction, then all of a sudden we're heading in completely the opposite direction and we wonder why we're seeing all this chaos with bank collapses, all this uncertainty, and the big question mark as to whether actually what the central banks are trying to do is actually working. I mean, well, inflation is still yeah. very high. And it's a very difficult question. I mean, people have described it to me as, you know, you're driving the car down the road, how much brake do you put on, how much accelerator, and at some point you can somehow, God knows how, hmm. put the brake and the accelerator on at the same time, and then, of course, the engine falls out, which is pretty much <laughs> the way a lot of people think <laughs> this has worked out. Because the question is really, these groups, these institutions, they're very established, they're very respected in most cases, hmm. but are they actually the right people, the hmm. right regulations, the way they governed, the way they're managed, the way they're formed for doing this job we've given them. Yeah, and I, well, I wonder whether, in fact, they've got the same respect that they had a few years ago. I wonder whether people are looking and going, well, hang on a second, because nobody saw inflation as an issue. No one was talking about it. To try and look through the minutes of the FOMC, the, the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England as well, uh, look at any of the central banks and see if, you know, a couple of years ago, whether they were saying, well, this is fine, you know, what we're doing with quantitative easing, but we have to be worried about the inflationary impact down the track didn't even mention it wasn't well, even a concern I, I mean funnily enough there was when I was once at Bloomberg there was a mention of it and, and fairly recently but there was this whole sort of talk about well of course it is inflation it's inflation no not going to happen <laughs> because we're just not used to it mm. but of course some of us are old enough to remember actually when inflation really was a thing yeah. um, very 20 times, years ago 30 years very ago very different times very different reasons of course and then a lot of it was uh, you know the concerns about w- rising wages yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. and the power of unions yeah. and with that, with, you know, which is not the problem now wages Wages are way lower than than inflation. Uh, the Fed has had this big concern about, you know, maybe we're going to see a wage spiral, but it's not the case this yeah. time around. Yeah. So is it the right treatment for what is fundamentally a supply chain problem that but, we've been facing? But when it, we're not, I mean, the idea of this really is not to say, well, you know, how do you tackle inflation? It's whether the people making the decisions about tackling inflation are the right people yeah. and whether they've, whether the institutions that are there, and it's not just to do with inflation, they do all kinds of other things. They look after banks, they yeah. uh, t- tackle money supply, they, they do all kinds of things. Um, are they the right people? Are they behaving in the right way? And are the rules that are set up to guide them the right ones? Well, some would say, you know, they're there to look after 
to banks, but actually, you know, by pushing uh, down, pushing up interest rates and pushing down the price of bonds, they've caused the collapse of mm. at least two banks uh, over the last month. But anyway. Look, so uh, do we need new central banks or new style central banks or some other institutional? Yeah, it's a different way of doing it all. Look, if you are wondering how to make the most of your money, how to protect your wealth rather than seeing it frittered away in tax and unwise investments, then it's worth giving Wigmore Associates a call. They are a boutique wealth management company based in London, close to Bond Street Tube, where the people who run the company will work directly with you to develop the solution that meets your objectives, whether it's managing your tax efficiency, investing spare cash, planning your retirement or sorting out your inheritance arrangements. So give them a call to see how they can help you and tell them Phil and Roger sent you because they they know who we are. Uh, Visit wigmore-associates.co.uk or give them a call on 0207-224-3400. I just tell you that because they are a sponsor, of course, of this podcast and we are very pleased with them for doing that. And hopefully they'll be interested in what we're about to talk about, which Mm. is central banks. Are they what they are supposed to be? And to help us with that, we're joined now by Dr. Sabria Kapoor, who's an assistant professor in finance at Trinity Business School at Trinity College Dublin. Okay, so so Sabria, what exactly are central banks hoping to achieve by lifting interest rates? Because, I mean, it's sort of, you know, accepted as conventional wisdom for the, you know, but for the man and woman in the street, how does that actually bring inflation down? What just, you know, the very basic level, what is it they're hoping to achieve? So um, thank you so much for your question. Uh, So I think to understand the full context of your question, it is very important first to look at where we are and what is the current issue before looking at how central banks are controlling the issue of inflation. So first of all, why is there inflation? Now, since the past two years, there has been a cocktail of events. Inflation this time is actually caused due to a combination of demand and supply factors. So when economy started to open after the lockdown and restrictions were lifted, there was a sudden surge in demand for goods. Now, people, of course, had accumulated a lot of savings during the pandemic. And yeah. uh, well, some had. I mean, that wasn't across the board, of course, was it? I mean, there was a quite a, a, a you know, wealthy people saved a lot more than uh, people who were struggling to get by. The people who couldn't work because of the yeah, pandemic obviously couldn't save. Yeah, absolutely. But it was also very sector based. You know, the hospitality mm. sector was really impacted by COVID. But then the wealthier had, you know, they had more and more savings. And then uh, they were actually buying goods and services, even houses. So that was one thing. But then the other thing. To the point that you're highlighting, the demand was also maintained for those kind of people from the COVID supports from the government. So they wanted the households and businesses to be running. So, of course, there was yeah. an increase in demand for goods, um, maybe through an accumulation of savings or through the COVID support programs from the government. But also right. at the same- and, and, and we had a shortage of supply, obviously, because we, you know, we had the exactly. war, we had supply chain difficulties and all that sort of stuff. So what, how, so, and that's all fine. And that, I mean, when at the beginning of it all, there was a lot of talk, of, you know, even from central banks themselves saying, well, this is just a temporary issue. It's a transitional issue as we wait for those supplies to pick up again. No need for us to do anything. But then all of a sudden they changed their mind and they started to say, oh, no, we've got to, we've got to raise interest rates. That's how we're going to fix this supply demand problem. But, how do they see that working out in the in the situation where we found ourselves this time? Exactly. So if um, we talk about the central bank's role now, they are independent institutions, right? And they are authorized to issue primary money. And of course, they have the responsibility of maintaining price stability and good health of the financial system, which means maintaining inflation at certain target level around 2%. So in the start, of course, um, um, I would say that 
a, a bit went a, a little wrong. Um, the central banks actually, um, you know, were a little delayed in the response to inflationary pressures. And that was mainly because during the pandemic, the central banks were more concerned about boosting the economy and injecting the liquidity influx via banks. And, you know, that will keep the households and the businesses moving. And also the triggering events, including the disruptions in supply chain, transportation, production or the war in Ukraine, were all supply side factors, which is outside the remit of monetary policy. It was only in 2022 when the Fed, ECB, Bank of England started increasing their interest rates, because to be honest, they were still keeping their policies quite expansionary, even when the, you know, the first signs of inflation were being noticed during the pandemic, but um, it, it all were um, they, they were quite confident that the rising inflation was transitory. Um, but of course, um, that that didn't happen, and the prices kept on increasing. And because of that, um, we are where we are really. And, and the, the, what they did by then moving clearly and signalling as well as moving in terms of interest rate rises, has it worked in the conventional way, which, you know, the history of, of managing these things, you put the interest rates up in order to bring down or curb inflation. Has it actually worked out that way? So, um Currently, given what we're experiencing, high levels of inflation, central banks are back to adopting their conventional measures, which wasn't the case for the past decade, where they were implementing all these unconventional monetary tools to boost aggregate demand at that point. But now what they are doing is they are, they are increasing interest rates to bring down inflation close to 2%. And the intention here is that the interest rates increase, the borrowing becomes costlier and the cost of living increases. And that would dip the demand and thereby st stabilize the prices. Um, now, it would work. It's just taking a bit of time also because the um, the unemployment is very low. So that's why we see that there's a bit of increase in core inflation at the moment. And it's not really, um, you know, reacting as quickly as we would have imagined. So, um, so of course, it will. The, their conventional role of central banks would definitely be working. Uh, but it's just it's 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 taking a bit of time there. So your, your your point is that it, it's it's the right measure. It's the right thing to do. It's just it's just as you say, slower because of other factors which perhaps they didn't take into account. Yeah, that's correct. And if you talk about the effectiveness of central banks in the financial sector, there is no doubt that you know they will not be able to bring down the inflation rates. I think the real question here is what should be their mandate once they are in that low inflation? What are the mistakes that they've made in the past uh, that should not be repeated? So it's really more about how they need to kind of transform or remove, uh, improve their reforms uh, for for to prepare themselves for the next crisis, let's say. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, still having difficulty, though, trying to understand that this transition, that how, how we go from higher interest rates, in the, it, particularly in the, in the environment we found ourselves in, higher interest rates turning into low inflation. inflation. So you said you push up interest rates, you increase the, the cost of borrowing, so there's less borrowing goes on. I can see how normally... Uh, that would slow down the economy so you wouldn't have an increase in, in supply. So you'd get more of this supply-demand balance happening. But who's borrowing now? I mean, they can, the consumer's got more cash. Business is not investing because of the supply chain difficulties. 
that that argument that you're going to slow down investment surely doesn't apply because there's not a lot happening right now. So it, so pushing up interest rates isn't going to affect the level of borrowing, is it? Um, but it would. The only thing is it's working slowly at the moment because the unemployment um, at the moment is so low. And, um, in you know, for example, in the Eurozone services sector, um, we've seen that wages are rising as companies compete to pay for workers and so that um, and another factor is that companies are raising prices more quickly than usual to maintain their profit margins so it's just uh, mm. the expectation to actually make borrowing more costlier and the cost of living increasing that's just acting quite slowly at the moment because of but you make a, you make an interesting point there, don't you? Because if we look at the earnings last year, I mean, it started to come back now. But S and P five hundred companies, I'm sure it's the same in this country. Uh, but earnings per share in 2021 was double what it was in 2020. No surprise there, because obviously 2020 mm-hmm. was a really bad year. But still, 30 percent up on 2019. So that says a bit of price gouging going on, doesn't it? The fact these companies, without borrowing, have been able to, so therefore oblivious to to to, to the interest rate have been able to push up prices uh, contributing to inflation by just taking a, 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 a bigger slice of profit, which is what we've been seeing in these in these company earnings. So no surprises. Last year, we saw you know the S&P 500 racing ahead because companies were doing so well. I mean, almost every company surprised on the upside in their earnings results. Last yeah, I year. think another point to note here is that it was really a golden period for all these tech firms, information technology uh, companies and the startups. Not just tech so, companies. So um, that, of course, is one point to, uh, you know, need, that needs to be highlighted here. And I, I think the point is there's lots of factors going on in this. And, of course, the whole issue of, of how you tackle inflation is one of them. But the point is that even from what you're saying, Zapria, the central banks didn't take into account all the factors that have, have come in, including, as we said, a tight labor market, for example. Is there a case for saying it's a very difficult ask for the central banks to do this, but are they actually the right people making the right decisions? And is that something that's a problem about the way that central banks are set up? Um, I think if we talk about um, the way that they are set up, um, if you look at um, you know three decades before, um, if 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 you actually look at the central banks, uh, um, the role really there, um, the key task of the central banks currently is to fight inflation, and um, you know they are moving. Of course, there are they are working towards that by increasing interest rates, and that is the conventional thing. And if you look at uh, the central banks' mandates, that was three decades ago, so it was pr- you know price stability, but also um, unemployment and economic growth was a part of it. So the mandates have really improved and reformed over the decades um, after the 1970s crisis and everything. Uh, But having said that, moving forward, other policies and reworking central bank mandate um, can help reform and be better and and the banks can be better prepared for any future crisis. And to name a few um, improvements, if I have to say, it should be a growing responsibility and priority of the uh, central banks to investigate financial stability risks that are associated with climate change. For example, they should start buying and promoting green bonds instead of brown bonds and then make them a part of their price stability package. So when it comes to implementing any asset purchase programs that they've done in the past during the global financial crisis, it can be that the central banks promote sustainable sectors by purchasing green bonds. 
And not just that, um, we've seen that there are a few sectors during the pandemic that had their golden period, but then there were a few sectors that were, um, you know, that was that were really um, being affected during the pandemic. So the authorities should actually focus on targeted spending in areas that are more fragmented and require infrastructural improvements so that the growth is maintained without the risk of higher inflation. But, but no, forgive me, that, that sounds more political almost I was say, than that financial. sounds almost like fiscal measures for the government rather than the central bank, yeah. So, well, well, we cannot say that the monetary policy should work in isolation completely without any coordination with fiscal policy, right? So there has to be, there should be a policy mix. We've seen that during the pandemic as well. It was, um, there were um, supports um, or the COVID supports that were given by the government. And so we, we saw it, the monetary and the fiscal policy moving in coordination. So we can't really uh, ignore the fact that the monetary and the fiscal policy should, cannot that is a change in attitude, though, isn't it? I mean, and that, and that became very clear, obviously, didn't it? And it had to uh, during COVID, that you, you, you couldn't have one working against the other. But up to that point, I mean, they were totally independent, weren't they? And sometimes you had central banks that were saying, well, we're having to do more uh, because we have, we've had a splurge of cash spending by the government. And so we're having to uh, go harder on our monetary policy. Uh, you know, they've they, and they, you know, it, it's almost as though, they, they, you know, the, the treasurer and the, the head of the central bank wasn't talking to each other. And that, you know, universally, that was the case. It seems they have come closer together now. And that independence factor, for better or for worse, seems to have... Uh, uh, well, the, the boundaries merged anyway a little bit, hasn't it? There's a, this grey area that's emerged. Um, absolutely, absolutely. They started to work um, much closely in terms of that. I, I think another thing that we need to um, focus here is when we talk about central bank independence, um, and if we compare, like if I have to compare the two time periods, let's say from the 1980s, the mid-1980s, that's called the great moderation period, where we saw like the steady growth and stable inflation. And during that time, there were certain favorable factors, including globalizations, advancements in information technology. There was a stable geopolitical environment. So we cannot deny that these favorable conditions turned out to be rather lucky enough for central banks to be widely accepted and independent. Unfortunately, the world has changed since 1980s. There's high geopolitical risk. There's rising populism. The pandemic has disrupted the supply chain. So it won't be right to cut. So in terms of, I guess, the perspective has to change in terms of how central banks would uh, reform or improve their mandates. So it sounds like you're saying, well, we're quite happy for central banks to have been independent when they really didn't need to do very much. Uh, but when, when we get into a complicated situation where we are now, well, we, we, they have to work hand in hand with government. Is where, there a case for saying that? I mean, in Britain, of course, it was only with the with the arrival of the Blair government that the, that the Bank of England became truly independent. That's uh, 20, just over 20 years ago. Mm. So, I mean, it, it is a relatively new phenomenon. Was that a mistake, do you think? Uh, it's it's really about, I, I, I totally agree that when we talk about, um, you know, central banks, we're looking at central banks as independent institutions, really. But 
the the conditions so all the conditions or causes of every crisis is very different the other uh, conditions around um, that are shaping those crises are very different from one time period to the other so for for particularly for this time it's really important for central banks to actually move ha- in um, you know hand in hand and uh, and uh, you know kind of um improve or reform their mandates that um would help them to better prepare for the future crisis but supriya are you saying you actually think there are advantages to them not being independent would it actually go back in fact to what it was mm, i don't think so um i'm not <laughs> I'm not um outrightly saying that uh, they shouldn't be uh independent they are independent institutions and um, you know when we talk about their conventional policy tool which is their interest rates um that really uh, makes them um, you know independent that's that's their prime mandate maintaining price stability but we cannot ignore all the other factors that are happening in the economy um you know it's very easy to say that um of course the war in ukraine or the supply chain disruptions are not um within the remit of monetary policy but really when you're implementing these interest rates or when you're increasing these interest rates uh these factors do come into play so what i'm really trying to say is that it's really important for monetary policy and the central banks to work in coordination with the other factors that are happening in the economy um but that does not take away their role of not being independent by so when they're increasing or decreasing when they're changing their interest rates um i'm not saying that that should be um you know really um taken away from them but what i'm really trying to say is that um it's they need to do targeted spending they need to look at other areas of improvement for example climate change inclusion um and they can't do and and they need to focus their agenda or their mandates even on those things so that um it's just so that would minimize um you know the the risk of future inflationary pressures really but and i think they also need to look at uh, income discrepancy as well don't they because i mean if you because the, the it seems like what's happened over the last couple of years is as we started at the beginning of this discussion uh, you know there's people who got a lot of money uh, over the last few years and those people who are wealthy anyway and could carry on working or those people who weren't working anyway but they'd acquired a lot of wealth they weren't hurt at all they just couldn't spend they came out and they could buy stuff that just wasn't stuff to buy there were other people who were scraping to get by who came out and have all of a sudden been hit with rising costs rising interest rates uh, and that has to go higher because the other half of the population are out spending and and pushing prices up so we get this big wealth discrepancy which you could argue is being made worse by central banks because of this interest rate policy and you then you know the big question is is it taking a long time for it to work and will it ever work so long as you've got that wealth gap and you've got those wealthy people in a uh, supply constrained market still able to spend money like it's going out of fashion which for mm-hmm. them it might be because they might not have many years left to live yeah yeah no uh, obviously and for that as i said that um it it's really important to have a targeted spending it's really important to um to target the population that's still going through the wealth or income discrepancies um mm. and it, it's it's very important for central banks to actually focus on the areas that are more fragmented and require improvements 
um, and that would help um, you know um, in maintaining growth without the risk of higher inflation so that's exactly if so for example areas um, like minimum um, you know supply chain disruptions that's there or supply chain that's where there should be more spending that's where there should be a lot more happening as compared to um, you know increasing the gap or the increasing the income inequalities really. Yeah, so once again, it's, it, it is monetary policy and fiscal policy working together, isn't it? So if, but, but if, if you say that the, you know, interest rates are a blunt instrument and it could hurt a certain popula- part of the population, that's where you need to say, well, OK, the government needs to step in with fiscal policy uh, or tax changes or whatever to make it uh, more palatable to those if people. If you join the central banks to that, if you give them a social role effectively, that is the point at which there are going to be parts of the political establishment, Supriya, who are going to say, hang on a second, if these people are taking a particular outlook towards politics in effect equalization of society those kind of things then we have to have control of that that their independence is compromised because they're pursuing a political line which is going to change depending on the government of the time uh no that's where i actually differ and that's where uh that line needs to be maintained that central banks are actually independent institutions and um of course like if you look at this um, an increase in interest rates would, ac- would actually mean that the uh, public and the private debt is actually becoming more and more expensive. So, so I think that role of central banks really need to be maintained as it is. Uh, but it's just their, um, you know, their mandates need to be improved or reformed in such a manner that when issues like, um, you know, for example, the Currently, the inflation is very much um, energy induced, right? So, um, so, so probably the central bank needs to actually look at alternatives and sustainable forms of it and need to invest in their climate change mandate or introduce something that's more relevant to climate change um, so that we are not in a situation of energy induced inflation like we are currently. So, um, of course, there's. It, it, the central banks cannot and should not really be political. But but imagine the Fed, for example, if the Fed came out and said, well, amongst the things we're now going to look at is attempting to uh, uh, shape the economy so that climate change is ameliorated, they would get enormous flack from from the Trump supporters, from much of the Republican Party. I mean, that's just not a non-political position. Um, Well... The times that we are in currently, I think there is no uh, authority or no body where um, you, know, the, uh, you do not focus on these issues of climate change or inclusion. Or so it's not like um, every. I think every authority is kind of doing their own bits, uh, but it's just really where you um, you know draw the line of independence in terms of and and these two authorities being really separate and as and separate to each other so um it'll, yeah i don't even want to know the situation if uh, the trump supporters actually start um uh, you know, influencing the Fed about Well, I, I can see change. it being an issue, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. not just Trump supporters. There's a lot, enough climate change deniers in this country uh, as course, well. Of course, yeah, it goes right across. across. But um, so how important do you think uh, employment is in all of this then? Because obviously part, you know, because the, the one thing that central banks are watching very closely is this tightness in the labour market 
and they, they, you know, they're worried about, it seems, and I wonder whether they're right to worry about it, they're, they're worried about, you know, seeing a wage spiral. I mean, in this country, I mean, wages are well below the, the rate of inflation. I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, unrest, a lot of strikes almost every single day because people aren't happy about that, that situation. But I mean, the uh, is that the necessary uh, step that has to be taken before we actually arrive at this this position where we start to see demand and supply sort of matching each other, and therefore prices are going being can, can, uh, reduced? Because I mean, that really is like saying, well, again, you know, the rich poor divide. If you're wealthy and you're spending, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but if you're struggling to get by, guess what? We're going to make a lot of you lose your jobs. And this is in effect what it's saying: we're going to make a lot of you lose your jobs, so you don't ask for waging. The rest of you don't ask for but waging. Is that a central bank function to do that? To yeah, take those absolutely, things into absolutely, as part of the process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so the thing is that at the moment, unemployment rates are really low. Yeah. Um, and the most recent data, if you look at the US jobs figure, the non-farm payrolls that have come in, um, that shows a slight decline in unemployment in, even further from December to January. So it's around 3.4% in January. So that normally would have been a good news, but lower unemployment and increases in monthly salaries are actually providing that cushion for consumers to spend more in uh, general response of rising prices and that's absolutely right in saying that that's but then that, like but a- that eggs on the central banks doesn't it to say well we for, because they believe they've got us you know see this unemployment rate rise it eggs them on to say well we're going to have to push interest rates even higher it's going to get even worse and that's exactly what uh, you know what we are seeing at the moment like the anticipation was to increase interest rates by 25 basis point with fed but that increased to 50 basis points so that's exactly what we are seeing um at the moment and for example uh christine lagarde until banks started collapsing and then they changed their mind on that uh, yeah and that's what uh, christine lagarde said recently that you know the eurozone is actually far from um if, uh, to declare that there's victory or inflation and that's exactly so because the unemployment is so low and uh, there are increases in wages and that's kind of cushioning the demand so that's acting against what central bank is trying to do so they have to increase the interest rates with even a higher you know much higher intensity to um to bring the inflation down or fight that um so do you think that do you think it's going to work I mean, because you look at, you know, a lot of these indicators, they're either not moving at all or they're moving very slowly. Uh, you could, well, OK, inflation is coming down, but you could argue with base, inf- base effects, you know, it, it would come down anyway, particularly if you take that earlier argument that, you know, it, you know it, there's a lot of this is transitory. Is it actually working? And, and if it's and, and how long will they keep at it? If it's not working, you know, at what point will they? It's hard for a bank to turn around and and gain any credibility by saying, do you know what? In these circumstances, it was fine when we were fighting rising uh, costs driven by uh, uh, by jobs and wages and unions. This time around with the supply chain, we're not quite sure our model works this time around. I mean, do do you think the model still applies? See, uh, personally, I think the model would definitely still apply. The thing is that um, if we would have just looked at the effects of the pandemic, definitely the demand at that point had surpassed supply. And 
Um, you know, but that would have naturally smoothened out over time and savings in the household sector would have returned to the normal levels. So, and supply, of course, would have responded in restoring the supply chain and manufacturing that was disrupted as a result of COVID. Um, but the situation just became really aggressive because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And I think that is why um, the entire problem is taking a little more longer than expected because one, of course, there's no denial in that that the central banks were a little delayed in responding. So it was only in 2022 when they started really increasing the interest rate. So, of course, by that time, the um, you know the signs of inflation were already seen. So that was one thing that they were quite you know, delayed in in, in that, that response. That, just that's an interesting point there, Supriya, about the delay and the fact they didn't respond quickly enough. I mean, one general point about the central banks is, are the right people on these committees, on, on, on the Monetary Policy Committee here? Is it an issue that the hawks and the doves that we constantly talk about, the various Fed presidents who are on the Fed's board going one way or the other, that actually perhaps these aren't necessarily the best people to make those kind of decisions? Because they certainly seem to have got it wrong in this instance. Uh, that's uh, um, yeah, quite a controversial question. I would say that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, I mean, and also, I mean, is there a way that actually you you can maintain semi independence? I think that's with. Yeah, I can see the argument for you know not going all the way back to um, to where we were, where yeah. you know before we had independence to central banks. But you know, is there a way that the government, for example, has a couple of seats on the board? For well, example, exactly. So, and then so would there be people be better on it? I mean, because, what do you think about the makeup of? Because these then boards? you'd actually get to a situation where you can say, well, okay, we can tackle this. Through monetary policy and fiscal policy together, and uh, uh, you know, and, and and you know, perhaps access and share data in a, in a way that hasn't been shared before as well, and de- and develop policy that's going to be a bit more holistic and achieve more. Yeah, faster. well, that would require like a complete revamp of the entire monetary and fiscal environment. So um, it's not a bad idea, though, is it? Uh, um, well, if if if. To an extent, if monetary and fiscal policy is looking to work in coordination, then um, yes, that probably would not be a bad idea. But um, but how severe it could get or what are the new problems that we could then face from there? So that's that's like a very uncharted territory there, yeah. you know? we're in uncharted territory now aren't we in mm. the you know there's this a lot of people talking about you know well maybe the fed and all the other central banks are going to slow down because they're not quite sure after the uh, you know the collapse of svb mm. we're not quite sure what's going to break next but that's the and point the if they're not they- quite sure they're the sort of people who should be quite sure that's kind of what they're there for which is hence my question is are they have we got the right quality of people in these places yeah like with the svb actually um uh, the, the, you know the news, um, uh, the, the digital bank run that suddenly happened, and uh, so, so that was, as we all know, that was mainly due to the large influx of deposits. That um, mm. um, you know, b- because SVB's main and not and not mapping their bond holdings to the market value for you know mm. buying a lot of bonds and then and not mapping them yeah. to the market value, and so they were they were devalued exactly, and which was, which was as a result of the Fed pushing up interest yeah. rates so quickly of course as well I mean you know it doesn't let them off the hook it's the bank's fault but the reason they did it was because of the rising you know the reason they got into problem was because of the rising uh, uh, interest rates and therefore yeah. the, the falling in bond prices yeah but um, but honestly the rising interest rates and everything so that were um, 
you know, it wasn't that so the rising interest rates were due to these other factors of the war and the pandemic and everything and the increasing food and energy prices. So um, it was, yeah, this was, again, something that, uh, you know, nobody knew. But actually in in the Fed's defense, I would say the Fed, uh, the author- or, or in the authorities defense, I would say that this has been handled uh, quite well because now the, the deposits are being guaranteed by um by by in in the US, so it could have been into a major um, banking crisis because that's how it starts from a bank run, then you know moving on yeah. to the so, other. So, you, so you're saying that in this instance, let's say, okay, they got it just about right, but just just take the wider picture, Supriya, as we get towards the end of this discussion. Do you think that we got the quality of central bankers that we need? Um, um, I think what we really need is, um, and um, as I said in, um, you know, sometime before in our discussion, that what we really need, it's not really about um, the people who are actually making those decisions. It's really about uh, being a little more foresighted, being a little more targeted in their approach. Um, And it's really about, um, you know, kind of focusing on the issues. So, of course, fighting inflation is the biggest public enemy at the moment. Uh, But moving forward, there is requirement for reworking these policies. So it's not really about that they are making wrong decisions one after the other. It is more about prioritizing and being a little more farsighted about what's going to be, uh, you know, what can lead to what. Uh, that's that's really what we um, that's really what the central bankers need to focus on. They need to focus on, of course, targeted spending. They need to focus on climate change. They need to focus on inclusion, and those need to be in coherence with um, their their price stability package or the price stability mandate. Right. And it needs to be in tune with what the government's doing as well. I think with the, <laughs> the idea that they, you know, the, the, they are fighting against each other in different directions, depending on the politics of the government which, at the time. Which, of course, has implications for their independence, which yeah. is where we, where we came in on this. Very good. Uh, we haven't solved, solved all the problems, have we? But it's been an interesting discussion anyway. I appreciate your time. <laughs> Sabria, thanks very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So, I don't know if you sensed, I'm not a big fan necessarily of central banks and uh, what they're doing right bit. now. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was injecting a few notes of scepticism too. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm so, yeah, I am glad I mean, to see you know, the camaraderie yes. that you've got. You've taken my side yes, a lot of that. As in so many things. Uh, so Elizabeth Warren, uh, yes. this was rather amusing seeing This is her, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Warren yeah. talking to... US uh, Senator, in case yeah, anyone doesn't know. Exactly. Talking to Jerome Powell, who's the uh, head of the Fed, uh, in, in one of those uh, US Senate committees. Uh, and she was pointing to him and saying, you know, your own forecast says that uh, to try and bring employment down, to meet your objectives, your inflation objectives, uh, there's two million people are going to lose their jobs. And, and he said, well, you know, that's just you know unfortunate but there again lots of people have jobs right now so fair enough that they lose them so that would see the unemployment rate rise by one percent she said uh, out of the last 12 times when the unemployment rate rose by one percent how many times did the u.s go into a recession and he said yeah well out of the 12 times that would be 12 times right so uh, based on the recipe numbers for uh, recession. yeah and then her point was okay and out of those 12 times when the unemployment rate rose by one percent how many times did it actually rise by a further one percent because you can't stop it once it started to steamroll and the answer to that question is 11 out of the 12 times so then you start getting into a into a into a deeper recession yeah uh, and so that's two million people lose their jobs and then another one and a half to two million so in in in, you know truth you're looking at four million people losing their jobs 
to try and get inflation down. Hence my point in that discussion it's the poor people who are losing their jobs. It's not the merchant bankers who are losing their jobs. It's the same the whole world over. And it gets worse. And they're the, and it's the poor people who are suffering from inflation, of course. Mm. So that would be the central bank's answer. Well, we're making life easier for them. In fact, I think Jerome Powell tried to make that point, you know, by bringing yep. inflation down because they're the ones struggling because their higher proportion of their income is going on food and that price is increasing more than it is You may have detected that Phil doesn't really think that discussion is over as yet. So it could be going on for some hours. I won't ask you to stick with us on that because... Uh, it could be <laughs> go on. You could end up scratching your own eyes out. But mm. anyway, next week, next week. Well, we don't know. To be honest, we I mean, don't. Phil will be probably honest. still be going anyway, on about central every banks week, every week. Exactly. That's a good, that's a good idea. Let's talk about central banks again next no. week. No, here we, we we'll just find something. We just don't know because we, well, the world's changing. And, yep, uh, indeed. And we like to bring you the hottest issues. Yeah. With the most information. It'll be so hot next week. Yep. So hot. And so hot. We haven't even thought about it. And it will all be sponsored by Wigmore Associates. And that's the Why Care for this week. Thanks for listening. The Why Curve.